What, what's a seance again? Kind of like some ceremony where you try and bring back the dead. Oh, right, okay. Or channels teach talk to the dead more. Uh, no, no, no. No, not really. Okay, can I do that? In like, you can't do sign. I pick a budget cow. It's <laughs> Dinner Kiko, yeah. Sam, Sam! Merry love stick! Merry love stick! <laughs> Sam! I've often just wondered though, Derek Akora, when did it become. When did it stop being a mental illness and become something suitable for television? <laughs> what was the. Where's the line? When you're walking around, kind of going, there's someone called Sam who talks to me and gets me in touch with the dead. Now, I'm not saying that's maybe a real thing that can happen. That's fine. But at what point did he go, you know. Bit, a few disturbances, talk to his GP, and then what point did he go? No, forget that. Let's go on telly. Well, well, that's yeah. it. He was sent with the doctor and said, "Well, there's a few options here. There's uh, obviously residential care, uh, some commercial therapy to talk through the issues that are coming up here, or you could just fucking monetize it. <laughs> <laughs> just go on telly. Just you know, clean your yeah. all these people. You know what I mean? Be great, Derek. It'll be fine." You want me to do what at Liz Sladen's grave, Sam? No, you think, no, it's wrong. thing is, now Derek Okora himself is dead, do you think Sam and him are having the same conversations? <laughs> or is Sam just going, what I was saying was, <laughs> but you wouldn't listen. I was misquoted. <laughs> I'm misquoted. What gave you the right to march off on television? Where's my cut, you scouse <laughs> get? Welcome to the corner of Doctor Who fandom that tonight puts on trial debatably the biggest atrocity involving a London bus in the last 16 years. It's the Polis Box, the podcast that puts Doctor Who in the dock. I'm Lee. Yeah, I'm Dave. And I'm Cameron. How the hell long did it take you to make that joke and come up with that one? And how much did you pay about making that joke? Yeah. Well, after the considerable backlash from last episode... I did have second thoughts, but I thought... Oh, did you say backlash or backsplash? <laughs> I figured we've already sunk this low. Might as well just carry on. Until we, well, we're going to reach the core of the earth. <laughs> I, I can feel it. It's quite warm already. Yeah, it's yeah. Quite hot. Some might say molten. <laughs> we, we probably should start this episode by offering profuse apologies to anybody offended by... Perhaps the most offensive thing we've ever done in the police box last episode. That was the Irish accents at the very end. It was, I. Uh, yeah, yeah, thinking back, that was probably regrettable. Um... The most offensive thing so far. <laughs> <laughs> we realise now that was wrong. Yes. It sounded more Cork than Belfast, so, you know, Pretty, we'll yeah, try harder next time. Pretty much. I think I was going for Kilkenny. We weren't sure whether we should make an apology or not, but we thought we better should, just to be sure. <laughs> if there's not a sound effect of the tumble we'd go and pass in the town bell going dong, dong <laughs> at this point, then is it worth it? 
Uh, the hits keep on coming. Yep. Okay, before we get into tonight's episode, shall we deal with what happened the last time round? We're probably better, as that is the format we've established over the last few months, and it's one yep. we're sticking to. What yep. happened last time round, aside from the lawsuits and the slave and the state? Yes. Uh, last time, we put the underwater menace on trial. Uh, Dave, you were defending it. Yep. Cameron, you were prosecuting it. We were Let's find out how the poll went. Uh, ended I, not I did have a glance today and it was really close. It was another one of those ones that slipped in between guilty and not guilty quite a lot. Poll ended about an hour and a half ago, so fresh, fresh off the presses. Oh. Let's, well, find, out. Let's find out what happened then. It's guilty, 48%. Not guilty, 52%. So Dave, you take that one. You've won, and you get to select from the envelopes of justice at the end of tonight's episode. Cameron, you will do the coin toss to decide what Dave does. Okay. What do you think of the result, then? It's fair. It's a, it's kind of what to be expected, really. Yeah. To be honest. I mean, most of the comments we had after the episode were mostly in favour. So it's not one with the best reputation. Nah, but it's not the bad reputation either. It's very middle of the road. There's nothing particularly offensive about it, but there wasn't anything particularly great about it either. It was just... A good story. I think 50 50 is about right. I mean, I think, bar it being a, a telly snap, it, I kind of enjoyed watching it. It wasn't like, as you say, uh, say, it wasn't anything that you know, was immensely sort of like, you know, why have I wasted my time doing this kind of thing? But it was, um, yeah, it's okay, but say, it's. I, I, I'm glad that we're not doing a telly snap this time. <laughs> actual moving images and everything. actual moving images, and you know, not sounds of shuffling whilst there's a still image on screen. <laughs> there's plenty of sounds of shuffling going on in your living room when you were watching it. I'm, I'm, now I'm gonna, I feel I'm going to have to defend myself against these horrendous <laughs> accusations throughout this entire podcast. It's yeah, so how dare you say that Cameron finds a woman attractive? That's a shocking suggestion. <laughs> Shocking state of affairs. Shall we get into tonight's episode then? Aye, we're probably better. Let's bring the next sorry specimen before the courtroom. Let's go back to 2009, the rock and roll years, and find out if tonight's subject is hop on or hop off as we put Planet of the Dead on trial. Hello, I'm the Doctor. Happy Easter. That planet out there. Three suns, wormholes, and alien sand. That planet is nothing. You mean nothing? There's all those things waiting for you. Food, home, people. Hold on to that. Because we're going to get there. I promise. We can't stay on board this thing. I'm not going out there. They're still calling. All around us. The voices are crying. What voices, sweetheart? The dead. Surrounded by the dead. Yes. Oh, as you see, billions of them flying in formation all the way around the planet. Round and round and round. Faster and faster and faster until they generate a rupture in space. The speed of them and the numbers and the size, all of that rips the wormhole into existence. And the wormhole's getting bigger. Because they're getting closer. But how do they get through? Because that wormhole's a killer. We've seen it. Those things are going to turn the entire Earth into a desert. So why exactly are you smiling? Worse it gets, the more I love it. Me too. Look out! Clear! Jim, that was close. 
Planet of the Dead it was written by Russell T. Davis and Gareth Roberts. It was directed by James Strong and produced by Tracy Simpson. It starred David Tennant as the Doctor, Michelle Ryan as Lady Christina D'Souza, Lee Evans as Malcolm Taylor, Noma DeWenzi as Captain McGamble, Adam James as D.R. McMillan, Victoria Alcock as Angela Whitaker, David Amos as Nathan, Ellen Thomas as Carmen, Reginald Sibyl as Lou and Daniel Kaluuya as Barclay. It was broadcast on Saturday 11th of April 2009 and I had green figures of 9.5 million. Okay, well let's do listener evidence. This is the law! Chapter 1! Uh, Millie has been in touch. Uh, Millie says, I haven't watched this in years. I remember the setting was really cool. The image of the red bus in the sand is quite striking. Unfortunately, I felt no attachment whatsoever to the companion. I can't even remember her name. She didn't work for me. The story was fun, though. I think possibly she's maybe not in the target audience for Lady Christina. Some of us maybe are. <laughs> some of us maybe were. I think some of us might be past the target audience now. Possibly. <laughs> okay. Also, James Burgess has been in touch. I knew him. I don't think he's contacted us before. So, hi, James. Mm, it's not one which springs to mind. So, yeah, hello, James. Yep. Hello, James. Uh, James says, marvellous over costumes let down by the boiler suits. The imagery is very good in this story, and I really liked Lady Christina D'Souza. Here's the target audience. <laughs> He's not the only one. Dave, you're going to be prosecuting Planet of the Dead. I certainly am. Cameron, you're therefore going to be defending it. Yep, like so, an Italian. Who... <laughs> Alright, and awesome. kick us off. First point for I'll prosecution. Day. I'll start with the most annoying thing in this entire episode. Lee Evans. What the fuck piece of comedy stunt casting was that? What, what they thought was... Have you got, uh, what in particular have you got uh, that's upset you about Lee Evans? He is so not right for this role. He's meant to be an intelligent, meticulous scientist. And instead, he dances about and overacts like, oh, I don't know, Lee Evans. Like, they knew what they were getting when they casted him. I half expected every time we went back to having the scene that he was just going to be drenched in sweat. Because that's how I always see him on stage. Drenched in sweat and twitching. I can see where the inspiration for this was used for Osgood. Because it's a very similar role. But instead of having the manic twitching monkey, they had somebody who seemed like an actual intelligent scientist. Well, the idea was there, but just casting of Lee Evans there just doesn't work. He's not a serious actor. He's comedy light relief, which this didn't necessarily need. I was just about to say, I think that you would do need some sort of comic light relief in this somehow. I think everyone bar Lee Evans' character is... Um... Wow. That's the dog's response to Lee Evans. <laughs> Um, but everyone, I think there's there's not many other parts of the story that or any characters that would give you any kind of comic relief, bar him. Um, are, are you forgetting all the incessant comedy flirting that goes on? That's not comedy. That's that's deadly serious. That's that's very much par for the course in the David Tennant era, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, pretty I mean, much. That's yes. Not an isolated case we're talking here. But that's what I mean. There's always a bit of light comedy flirting. Yes, I am great, aren't I? You don't necessarily need a comic relief character that's that bold because it drags away from some of the seriousness. I mean, like, there's a scene at the end where he hugs him and goes, I love you, and it's just, no. You're meant to be a senior professional scientist at unit, and that's not how I'd expect them to behave. He has just helped 
close off a wormhole that was 10 miles wide over London. I think there'll be a slight sort of adrenaline flow. He, he took to us as, you know, one of them kids at school that's sort of kept themselves to themselves and been very, very quiet, but studied a lot while they were there. Maybe not been the most sociable. And had ended up being, you know, quite good at what they do in this field of science. There is an element that I thought I have written in the notes here. This is one of the one points, actually, how good he is. There's an element in of me that thinks that Rod Gilbert said no. <laughs> yep, um, I see that. Because I'm not quite sure why the Welsh accent. That's one thing I would say. <laughs> I think in this case, even Max Boyce said no. <laughs> Probably. But um, Ryan I Giggs is unavailable. <laughs> due to court appearances um, and mind you it's 2009 was he still playing for Man U but he is I think it fits quite well in that circumstance the interplay between him and the doctor over the phone calls is kind of a lot of science mumbo jumbo but essentially you just need to know that they're trying to close off this this wormhole before it gets any worse that's all you really need to know. You, all the stuff about Bernards and Malcolms and 100 bloody Kevins or whatever the hell they're talking about is just done as jokes. In and, and yeah, you're right. That would be enough comic relief. You don't also need the Lee Evans acting of comic relief. Well, I think they just take it too far. I mean, we're probably going to have to pitch him in a league table of comedians in Doctor Who. And I would well, say that yeah. Catherine Tate's probably the biggest example of just being Catherine Tate. And she got a whole bloody series out of it. Yes. When the prosecution did mention the magic word stunt casting, I mean, is this really any worse than Richard Briers in Paradise Towers or Ken Dodd in Delton Abandonment? Or James Corden. Is it worse oh. than James Corden? <laughs> Would you rather have James Corden in a white coat? If it means he's been sectioned, yes. Very small yeah. section. Um, yeah, it's stunt casting, and I think they just take it too far. James Corden is playing the same character he plays in everything when he's in Doctor Who. And the same can be said of Lee Evans. And I think the character he's playing is Lee Evans on stage, who isn't a scientist. He doesn't come across as scientific. He comes across as unhinged and overexcited. He comes across as, for me, as I say, someone who's he's good at what he does, otherwise he wouldn't be in the position he is. And I think that's the thing. I think, it, for me, it breaks the believability when he's like that as the character. Because the character's great, and if you just look at the script lines, they're completely believable. I think it's the way he has acted it or been told to act it that's just too far for me. I genuinely don't think you could make a serious role in that and deliver the line, 100 Malcolms equals 1 Bernard. I don't think that is physically possible for anyone. I don't think any it needs to be kept completely serious. I think it's fine to have some comedy value in there. Mm -hmm. I just think the amount of comedy he was smashing in there with a big rubber mallet, like Timmy Mallet, was just too much. Imagine if it was Timmy Mallet. That'd be great. Yeah, they brought back Timmy Mallet to play a scientist in Doctor Who. He would be saying he loves the Doctor, just be calling him utterly brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> over just and over again. Bopping him on the head with a plastic mallet and then just giving him a little sticking plaster. Whack 90 across it. <laughs> and that's the teenagers. Definitely going in the Millipedia. 
We really need to get around to actually writing down the Millipedia we one. We do day. need to write, yeah, write down. I, I mean, I've I've written about three entries for Fabrizio Ravinelli already. It's a work in progress. I mean, it's like practically war and peace at the moment, but we'll, we'll get there. At the minute, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't help when people start throwing in references to Timmy Mallet, but you know. That's well, yeah, you know, just like, you know, Mallet, Timmy, just stick it under M, it's fine. <laughs> oh, so we've only used references. A talented New Zealand woman is likely to know. That's going to really cut this short. So let's brainstorm. We've got uh, we've got split ends. Um, what else has come out in New Zealand? Not COVID, anyway. Uh, oh, uh, Jonah Lomu. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I think we should stay away from all blacks because we'll start making jokes that will get us cancelled. <laughs> you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> New Zealand stuff. We fruits. Taika Waititi. Yep. Uh, and by extension, Korg from the Marvel Universe. Yep. Um, yeah, at this point, I don't want to say things in case they're Australian and I really offend someone. Yeah, I see, that's the problem you've got, you see. That's <laughs> yeah. the problem you've got. It's like when there's Spanish people and you go, sombrero, and they look at you really depressed going, Mexican. Yeah. It's just not... You don't want to do that, you know. It's you, even a completely different language. They speak Mexican, like South American Spanish rather than Castilian Spanish. Yep. So yeah, you're exactly. completely wrong on that one. Exactly. Or it's like when you call a Scottish person English, and it's just yeah. no, don't do that. No, don't do that. Yeah. So the rest of this episode is just going to be how this story relates to things we know are from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> it's a struggle, but we'll manage. Should yeah. pad out twenty minutes for that. Oh, okay, I think we've uh, covered the Lee Evans fiasco. Unless you've got anything more to add to it, Cameron? Well, nothing more. Mine points would be much the opposite. I think that he's um, he, he's a good character to have in the in the whole overall mix of it. Um, in that he is the light comic relief of it. Yeah, I, I did buy that he was intelligent in the field of which he is, but he was somewhat maybe absent-minded in his relations with other humans, which is quite feasible and possible that you would be uh, in that situation. Um, I quite liked him. I think there's a hell of a lot worse as far as guest appearances in Doctor Who goes. All right, and Garmin, do you want to give us the first point for the defence of Planet of the Reds? Uh, really right Evans, isn't it? No, I've, I've had to scroll that one off. That was number three. <laughs> so, yeah, we've done that. And you've already said that was the biggest problem you had of it. So, uh, okay, Planet of the Dead doesn't waste any time in ramping up the action. The intro is about 10 minutes in, in duration, and then we get a heist scene in the style of Mission Impossible. A very quick introduction of the Doctor to the proceedings. Something like a car chase, only it's kind of like a bus car chase kind of thing. And finally, the science fiction twist to the alternative dimension. It's straight to the point. There's no dicking round, and it gets through a heck of a lot in that first ten minutes. There ain't no sort of like stalling in this one. It's straight to it. No, it is quite quick. It's an hour long, but it doesn't necessarily feel it. It really does go quite quickly. I did in my head when it... When I sort of switched this on to watch, I had it in my head this was like an hour and 50, an hour and 20. I hadn't mm. seen it since it was broadcast, but then it's yeah. like 55 minutes or something like that. And I was like, well, that's pretty snappy. Yeah, I think it's only the end of time in uh, parts one and two, at the end of this particular special series that are like properly feature length. I don't think Waters of Mars is particularly long either. I think Waters of Mars is about that's the same, isn't it? It's about an hour, 50 isn't it? minutes. It's yeah. not. They're just under an hour, the special ones. Yeah. Um, they weren't that much longer than a standard episode to be hmm. honest 45 I also thought that Waters of Mars came before this but it's actually afterwards yeah yeah. Didn't know directly that. afterwards yeah I thought Waters of Mars was well before this but never mind by the bye. 
Yeah, you're right, it is a quick story, and it does move along fairly fast. But yeah, I can't argue with that largely. It is a quick story. I was quite thankful when it finished. <laughs> it's, yeah, it crams a lot in, but there's a lot that feels like it could be explained more. It is. It goes along, and it brings in a new thing, and then a new thing, and then a new thing, and then at the end, oh, it's all fine. But it doesn't feel like they actually explain much of anything. Like, there's no explanation of where else those things have been before. If they've got natural metal skeletons, that's a bit weird, is it not? And if they've not got natural metal skeletons, who made them? It's an evil scientist that's made the world-eating things. But, but how does that wormhole open up? Uh, they just spin around really fast, and eventually enough of them do, and it opens. Job done. Is it needed, though? You know, um, they're a, you know they're a threat. You know they destroy planets. That's pretty much it. Do you, do you really need a full-blown history? No, but it'd be nice if there was just a bit more of almost all of it. It'd be nice, but it'd be another five minutes and another God knows how many pounds on the budget. And it would be an hour and 20 minutes long, which is what you said oh, it felt like. I didn't say it felt like. I said it, I had it in my head that it was an hour and 20. All right, it's how you remembered it. Yeah, I thought it was longer than it actually was. Yeah, I'd like there to be a bit more. How did the police she's not going to know she's going to be there stealing something that night? What is the rest of her criminal history like? Can it be noted on the court records that the prosecution has just said that we would like more of this episode? No, I would have liked more information. Which would necessitate more of a runtime? Not necessarily. <laughs> they just talk really, really quickly in certain scenes. They just have it like the data blast in Bad Influence. There's a scene where they're badly here. chasing the bus. While they're badly chasing the bus, the policeman could have said, I knew she was going to be there tonight. I've been tracking her for six months. Yeah, I want her that. for at least 15 other it's robberies. Kind and it's of just done anyway, though, when he recognises her. He recognises her from just a fleeting glimpse on a bus. So you yeah, kind of know. moments of eye contact with a woman on a bus like that. <laughs> that you, what, you, you've been chasing for years? Yeah. Trust Dave, he's tried it. <laughs> Several times. You look off the bus yeah, and recognise me. You need another disguise why, next time. Is that why you're banned from the Edinburgh bus system? I'm not banned from the bus system, but I've still never been on a tram. What, an Edinburgh tram? Yeah, they've been around for years now. I don't think I've been on an Edinburgh tram either, to be honest. You do live in southern Scotland, though. I do, yeah, I've got more of an excuse than Dave has. <laughs> yeah. To be fair. You know, I can't sort of walk down the road and suddenly, you know, get one. I've been, well, on, a, I've been on a tram, but in only two places, Manchester and Beamish. That's a hell of a so, long way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> took ages years <laughs> as well five days I was on that tram <laughs> five days god the seat was rock hard oh Beamish left in 2017 ended up in 1940 <laughs> no, that's just Beamish <laughs> yeah that was the tram back to Manchester just really grim at Manchester <laughs> yeah okay so we've got on that one that's about it yep we have a point yeah done alright Back to Dave then. Dave, no point for the prosecution, if you will. I'm going to go back to something I mentioned a second ago. There's far, far too much innuendo on this. And it, I get the little bit of harmless flirting, but it's like every scene with Christina and the Doctor. They have to put in a line or two where they go, Oh, I, I carry on there. And it's just, we'd make a good team. Yeah, we would. I like it extreme sometimes. Yeah, all right, just calm it down. It's just too much. I, I'm going to have to ask at this point for the prosecution to repeat the last point because bear in mind this is a police box and I couldn't hear you over the pot and kettle. <laughs> if we are talking innuendo, <laughs> you're going to have to get a pretty damn good case for this. Can I kind of say that... I, I am not aimed at a young audience. 
and we make that aware. <laughs> that's that's because of being When I aim at a young audience, I get thrown off the bus. So yeah, it gets it gets to be too much innuendo. It's, it loses the point of it because you're just waiting for every scene where one of them makes a comment and they get a side eye from the other one. And for me, in some scenes, it kind of lowers the belief that they actually feel they're in any danger. It reminded me of a Mitchell and Webb sketch where there's a doctor in a carry-on style hospital that doesn't care what innuendo is. And it's a bit like that where it's just so much innuendo that you're just completely broken by it all and you don't care anymore. I think they have to cover a lot of ground in that 55-minute runtime. There's obviously like a kind of... I mean, as we've already said, there's an element in the Tenant era that every single female uh, companion loved the socks off him. You know I mean, companion, passerby, grannies, passerby, captain. You know, so I think she kind of falls into that category. We have just had an entire season of Catherine Tate shouting "Spaceman" in his face, which was obviously the total polar opposite to that. They obviously went, "Oh well, we've had Rose who fancied him, we've had Martha who fancied him. Let's have someone who just completely doesn't." And I think they're trying to get slowly back to that kind of idea that they could be a kind of couple it's kind of like the Mulder and Scully thing in X-Files getting kind of slowly thinking, back would be fine but it's yeah. not slow we've only got 55 minutes as we established I know you want more Dave and you want it to run longer but we had to fit in these things in this compressed time you see <laughs> and, so, a, and a conversation about innuendo you're not helping matters here no. <laughs> would you like it longer would you we have to fit it in somehow oh <laughs> Yeah, you mentioned Captain Jack, and that's what this reminds me of. I just said Except Captain, I didn't say Captain Jack. There's no one there to tell him to stop it, which is what the Doctor usually does. Captain Jack says, hello, and then the Doctor goes, stop it, Jack, put that away. And there's nobody to do this for these two. I think, I think that's what's missing. There's an element of Lady Christina's character, though, that I think is obviously, you get the impression that she's very much used to having you know, wrapping blokes around her wee finger and having them, you know, get what she wants. And I think there's an element of that in there as well. She's a prototype River Song, really, isn't she? It's, she's kind of like River Song. I put it down that she's essentially a BBC budget Lara Croft. Yes, she is. That is essentially what that character is. Which is weird, because they, they threw some of it away and kept the archaeology part of Lara Croft for River Song. Yeah. But, yeah, this is very much feel like wanted to do a Tomb Raider type woman but they couldn't afford to make it a Tomb Raider like no so they well what can we keep well the British portion this week keep that because we're British yep. we don't want to go too much Tomb Raider Harrison Ford style so we'll just make it a steel ship from museum not just for the money does it and not for the thrills either but kind of because then she's dangerous and that's it they just stop the story development there and the character development she's like Lara Croft but she steals from museums Lunch, lunch, all right, lunch, <laughs> and that's it. And I'm not saying it's bad, or it's just it doesn't feel like a real person. Well, I'm have to have a part of the defense say that it very much does. She's obviously an outlandish character. Um, there's a part of me that wouldn't have been surprised if she turned around and said she was an alien too. In the run up to it, there was an element of that. I know what you mean. It wouldn't have been a stretch for her to sort of say, oh, that's funny, you're from this gal, you're from that Gallifrey, oh, I know Gallifrey, I'm from blah, 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 blah. whatever stole it is. stole a pair of Rasslon's trousers once. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but it was, they're trying 
to get across the fact that she could have been a companion in that short space of time. And if that has to revert back to the kind of like, oh, you know, they might, they are a little bit of a bickering couple, not quite to Christ, no. They are that for a little while and bit back and forth. But I think it's mainly done so that she, you know, you could have seen her maybe staying on for a few episodes more after this, had this not been the end of David Tennant. Yeah. Um, coming up fairly soon. Had he had another series, she probably would have stayed. Um, and I wouldn't have minded that, really, to be honest. Um, I quite liked the character. I liked her confidence. I liked her um, sort of... It, it's kind of like a snootiness, but not to the level where you don't like her. You mean not like Catherine? It's snootiness. Well, yeah, well, I'm talking about how, you know, she's... So like, like when she gets on the bus at the start, she like kind of goes, Oh, it's um, the lobster cards. And, you know, you, you almost feel like the word that you commoners use would be used at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. But it's not. And the bus driver's kind of going, well, oyster cord. And it's like, yeah, yeah, one of those, yeah. And she doesn't really care about, you know, the common people kind of thing. But you kind of like, I still like there as a character. Because she has that kind of thing of, yeah, she steals stuff, but you kind of want her to win. I think that if she'd been kept on as a companion for a season, she would have ended up hated for those very reasons. I think I think she was too different and too posh and too removed from the common man. They probably would have had to dial it down a little bit as the episodes went on, admittedly. But for this, and this kind of like 55-minute runtime, she's ideal. Yeah, She's an ideal match for the Doctor. I did put down it was um, Lara Croft with uh, Mission Impossible's wardrobe. <laughs> and that's a point we'll get to later on in tonight's episode, I'm yes. sure. Yes, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Catherine's 30 minutes monologue on the costume choices of Planet of the Dead. No, with, once again, I feel this is disparaging rumourage going around in the episode tonight. <laughs> it's awful, it's awful. It's below everyone. Okay then, Calvin, do you want to give us a point for the defence then? Well... While we're going on about her, uh, we might as well jump in with number two. Uh, we need to talk about Michelle Ryan. <laughs> I like the way everyone's just gone. Hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. We'll, we'll, we'll go out and do some shopping and uh, make our tea. And we'll, no, we'll just go on and we'll come back. Michelle Ryan. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Michelle Ryan covers a lot of ground in this, and it's a decent bit of casting. Um, she'd already done. Jekyll in 2007, which was Stephen Moffat penned. He's um, memorised an IMDb page. I have. <laughs> I think I'm the only one on this podcast that has an IMD entry myself. Oh, oh, fucking Charlie Big Time here. Yep. Go on, then. Most of all the sets you're banned I'll from. Play that card. I'm the only one on IMDb myself. So there you go. Which episode of Hollyoaks were you in then? I wasn't in bloody Hollyoaks. Wasn't in. I made a film and you get an IMDb credit when you're on. <laughs> uh, just a little producer's note here, uh, if you're listening to this episode, that clanging noise you're going to hear in the next five minutes is Cameron name dropping. Yeah, well, you know, when um, I was having lunch with Robert Duvall. <laughs> was that as an icon, my first kiss and the people involved, because that's Cameron Phillips. Or is it as, as an actor in The Colour of Courage? Was that you? No. I'm a thing I'm about number seven, last I checked. What year Listen, was it? 
2013. Robotics? Yes, that's me. So not the magic of George, then? No, sorry, no. George is magic, I'm sure, but it wasn't doing me. Now, you see, I don't have your picture here, so I don't know if I believe you. I think you need to contact your agent. Are you not forgetting your glittering but brief Hollywood career? What, when I was in A Shot at Glory? (laughs) (laughs) With Alistair McCoist? Because everyone remembers that. Everyone does. Everyone remembers that. I remember that. 13 hours of my life in a scorching hot Dumfries Palmerston Park. (laughs) Blazing hot sunshine. In the story, it's January, so I'm there with my woolly hat and my scarf on. Slowly dying. The only sustenance we had was the worst bacon roll I've ever had in my life from Onset Catering. Genuinely the worst bacon roll I've ever had in my life. It was How like, can you have a bad bacon roll? Because it is cremated. The roll or the bacon? Both. <laughs> One or the other is fine. Not both. No, both. You know when they say well-fired? Well, it was both. It was just awful. Onset Catering, not the best that day. Uh, £45 I've got for that. Yeah, so. Well, you need to add it to your IMDb page. Get onto your agent, get it sorted out. (laughs) I'll get it sorted out. It'll be fine. fine. Aye, where were we? Yeah, she's done Jekyll, so she's no stranger to sort of BBC science fiction fantasy. She did Merlin as well. She was a sorceress in four episodes of Merlin, I think, if I remember rightly. She'd also tried to crack America, done one season of The Bionic Woman, but sadly got. Was that before or after this? It was after the... Uh, before this, sorry. Before she'd come back. So that's what written. So this is her return. This is her return. <laughs> so she's... Kyle's just laughing at um, Michelle Ryan coming back from America there. Nice. I'm not sure why. She's essentially, what I'm trying to say, is she's no stranger to this science fiction telly. Kind of, you know, your sort of Saturday Night Entertainment kind of idea. I've gone in here. In Planet of the Dead, she appears to be the BBC's answer to Lara Croft. It's a role she feels well. There's instant chemistry with the Doctor... And uh, it's a shame we haven't seen more of her since. But then I googled Big Finish. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Everything. And I was like, finish. I'm there going, surely, I'm like going, I was just on the verge of writing, it's a shame we haven't heard from this character since. I'd love to hear more from her in the world of Doctor Who. Uh, and wait a minute. And so I googled Big Finish, and yeah, 2018, she's got a whole six part volume set mm-hmm. for the Lady yeah. Christina files. But anyway, regardless... Um, yeah, I mean, you think with your long list of credits, you'd have your own big finish box set. Um, well, who's to say I'm not? <laughs> well, you can say that you have and there's no evidence. Someone you know. someone has to voice that fashion narada, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> a shot right. of glory with John Coleshaw. John Barman. Nicholas um, Biggs is the voice of Ali McCoist. Yep, but no, I think as far as levels of casting go, she's not like totally, you know, Hollywood. Uh, well, she's not because she tried and failed. Exactly. Well, she's impossible to get, but she's also not exactly, you know, totally, you know, no pun intended, totally alien to this kind of like Who universe kind of style of show. I think she's cracking a wee bit of casting. She'd done 500 odd episodes of EastEnders as well. She had, yeah. So she was like very so much different. BBC. Yeah, exactly. So she's ingrained in the BBC completely. Yeah, and I say I didn't. I originally thought she would have got a slight nod to this through doing Jekyll with Stephen Moffat, but then I suppose we're pre-Stephen Moffat era, aren't we? So probably not, unless you know Russell T was on the phone one night and then in the hand. Yeah, they might have had on. discussions of do you know anyone that'd be good for this before we hand over, and who knows? 
Yeah. Yeah. I dare so, say Stephen was like dripping information to Russell as you know the series went on. I mean, I remember Mark Gattis and all the rest of them are quite a sort of close knit group. So could right. be the case that yeah. So it could be yeah that he tipped the nod. You know, tipped the nod for her, and then got it done that way. If you know Stephen Moffat knew that he was going to come over and do you know be a showrunner for next season onwards, and that's maybe why she was kind of half being set up to be a companion. Maybe that was an idea at one point. Um, I say we covered that ground already tonight, but she doesn't seem to have done much after it. She does mostly voice work these days, does she? Apparently so. Uh, That's a shame for you, camera. On IMD, what are you trying to say, Dave? (laughs) The the shame for you that she only does voice work. Sometimes that's enough. (laughs) But um, I I, I think she's a, a cracking wee bit of casting. I think she's just right for that era, that era, that time of that show. I think she she fits in quite well. Yeah, she is. She's a good actress. I I, mm. I won't say anything against her. I think she's quite a good actress. I think much like the Lee Evans character, they've taken it to extremes. She is too posh. She is too well-spoken. She is too, as I said, removed from the common man. She has not got anything that you think, oh yeah, she's like an actual person I could have met somewhere. She's too much of a caricature. She's too much of the Tomb Raider. I think it depends on what social circles you kick around in, Davis, whether you've met a person like that or not. Um, Probably, but not necessarily. I went to a very good school. So I, I, I have met people who would be like that when they're grown up, but I still don't think she comes across as a real person. I think they use too much of the Tomb Raider stuff where she's got absolutely everything in her bag, including a motorized winch with LEDs on it for no good reason, and a shovel, and all the other stuff she's carrying. God, I need that. You need that. But it, it, it's just too much. I think the character, the whole thing around her is just too much. Okay. This magically acrobatic woman decides to run away from the police by jumping on a bus, which makes no sense, because why would she just jump on a bus? Well, otherwise she, she wouldn't get on the bus to start this episode's story. But... I know. She hasn't got much else around her. I know how I stories I work. I don't think hot wi- <laughs> I don't think hot wiring cars is going to be you know is in her moveset. But you know the police can't go right. We're looking for a woman in skin tight leather, aren't we? Always, Sarge. Yeah, shut up, lads. <laughs> she got a really <laughs> heavy backpack with her. Get DCI Phillips on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I Sorry, think I, I think she she acts it well. Mm-hmm. I think it's got all the possibilities of being a great character and a great companion, they just take it too far. Everything's dialed up to 12, and it's too much. And I think it breaks the re- the realism as it would be of Doctor Who. Right. Because even when that fat lump of mess is in it as the lodger, you, you just don't believe him. That's you no way to talk about Matt Smith. You believe that he's a real character, <laughs> he's a real person. And that's why the Doctor's chosen most of his companions. Because they're real people with something slightly special about them. Whereas this character, everything's special, and it's just too much for me. I think they could have dialed it back a bit. Okay. If they could have had her get on the bus with a proper Cockney accent, and then we discover she's a Lady Christina and she talks like that, and that gives us more faith that she's an actual character. Because walking around in a full-body leather suit with diamond earrings and a balaclava, that's not, like relatable for almost anyone whereas if we find out she can pretend to be other things we'd believe that she might be a person 
I'll have to admit to being a complete stranger to walking around with tight leathers, a balaclava and diamond earrings on, so yeah, I'll have to concede that point. Outside of the house, at least. Outside, yeah, exactly. We all know it's far too warm for a leather right now, gentlemen. <laughs> Alibis with all other chaps on. Oh yes. The arseless ones, of course. <laughs> well. Better only, for the ventilation. Only on Sundays. <laughs> no, you've both lost me here, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, Dave, do you want to give us another point for the prosecution? This is, like, mostly story stuff. The police in this are horrendously crap. And I know that if things were done differently, it wouldn't be this story, and that's completely correct. Because that's how stories work. But how can a high-powered police Land Rover not catch up to a London bus for a good few minutes? How can the guy have to get in and tell the other one that's trying to go, follow that bus? Like... Boss, you were just shouting at boss. I'd never thought to follow that. <laughs> how, how can the bus driver not notice the three police vehicles with their lights and sirens following him? Maybe he thinks they're just going to get after him for the diamonds they took instead of giving our bus ticket, which is so completely disrespectful to London bus drivers. I don't think that, oh, yeah, yeah, fine, you can probably Open bribe them with diamond, but what? He wants to go, nah, just keep your hands off, get on the bus. Freak. She's a posh white woman. Is it not the case, though, that they've gone through the tunnel by this time so there's an element of well where else is she going to go we'll catch her at the other end it, it takes them so long to catch up to the bus I don't get how the National Gallery Museum or whatever it's called is a fictitious name is that close a tunnel under the town but I don't want to lapse into London cabbie mode but if you're going to travel that far across town but it's me not south of the river that's going to take you a long time to get from the British Museum down to the Thames it's fantastic that Dick Van Dyke could join us this evening. <laughs> well, it's, <isn't> it? <laughs> it's been sitting here next to me all night, just waiting for Yes, well, fantastic. He begged to get in the podcast. Once he heard of your glittering film career, he just had to meet you. Did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah well. He's phoning me all week incessantly, demanding he comes on. Yep, well, there's and now it. He's there he, has, he has, he can die a happy man. Yeah, well, that's it. The police are crap. They, they don't follow her well. They block the other end of the tunnel, and then the armed response unit arrives. Why? She hadn't used any violence in the robbery. She's not committing any violent crimes. Why the sudden do all these guns appear? Is it just because they had them in the props department? There's no need for it. It's overkill. I think it's and just it, to establish that she's seemingly quite dangerous. But we never see that. There's no evidence of that. You know, it just looks like overkill by the police. She deliberately robs the place without committing any violent acts. She could have probably just magically clubbed those four guards over the head. Those four guards who are carrying guns but don't have any kind of other protection or radios. And all, all of them face the opposite way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually. Yeah, I know. There's, there's that element. And you, if you were, it, it, we will concede, the, the defence will concede, that if you're going to display a priceless item, it's probably a good idea not to put it on a plinth above a section of the roof which can easily be removed <laughs> and then only laser guard it on you know on the vertical and not the horizontal top of it that's priceless artifact yeah just stick it under the skylight just stick yeah. under the skylight it'll be fine be alright open up a little crack when it gets a nah. just do you know yeah it should be fine <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah there's, there, there's an element at the start of it blatantly being set up in her favour just so it can look cool and that's fine. And that's completely so it can look cool, because what's the point yeah. of her leaving a little Chinese K with the squeaky arm on the plinth? And then it's, she looks surprised when the alarm goes off. It, it's good visual. 
as all it is. It's the rule uh, of cool. It's television. It's it's good visual. It looks cool. And if you can get away with it, you'll get away with it, and that's fine. I don't think they should have been allowed to try and get away with all of that. Is again too much. It's too much. All the, this story sounds like it was just generally too much for the defence, for the prosecution, rather. Sorry. A bit of a Freudian slip there, Cameron, was it? A little bit of a Freudian one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certain sections were definitely too much for you. What do you mean? Yeah, explain yourself, Judge. That's only like an accusation from the impartial this is, judge. This is, there are no accusations being flung around this courtroom tonight. <laughs> There's an undercurrent. It's quite disturbing. It's it a is, isn't it? We're just all grumpy, that's what it is. We've not got right. a leather chaps on, we're just entirely out of, out of sync here. Yeah, as much as I keep saying it's too much, I think they could have cut some of it down. And made it 45 minutes long because there's, there's so many 20 minutes ago you're wanting more oh that's great isn't it <laughs> welcome to the schizophrenic prosecution <laughs> no it's you could have cut down some of the robbery scene without the armed guards marching up and then the guy switching on the laser saying good night lads so oh, there was nobody guarding it before that why didn't you just walk in when the music was open and taking it because there was unguarded on a plinth and no lasers and then they walk in guard and switch the lasers on there was nothing the, before that. Why did she wait? It's the impression given that the museum is just shut, though. Because he just says goodnight. So, so there's no guards on it while they're open. It's hoping nobody's going to lift up and run away. <laughs> it makes it no is. sense. There could have been a changing of the guard, because London's quite good at that kind of thing. <laughs> They've had practice. But not just all of a sudden, all right, it's getting dark outside. Better keep an eye on that priceless artifact now. <laughs> if people only steal at night. It's like it wants to be a reeling comedy, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, there's just so many ways that the story chasing her doesn't make sense. If the police knew she was going to do that, they would have had better surveillance on the building or on her. Mm-hmm. They would have been ready for her trying to run away. Because when they turn up, they must have been close, so they knew she was doing this. So they turn up and they go, there she is, over there on that bus. Let's let them drive down the street a bit and we'll follow them in our cars. Not get on the radio and say, stop that bus. Just let it drive away and we'll chase it. Slowly. I think whilst there's elements of that, yes. And a lot of that opening scene is quite ridiculous and, and, and over the top in many ways. I think your key kind of thing for that first 10 minutes is get Christina on the bus with the doctor. That's your kind of aim. That's your out. I don't think it really matters how you get there. It does when you it know, takes 10 minutes. doesn't matter. You could, it achieves it in the end. If you're going to go through the whole technical kind of thing of, oh yeah, well, uh, London, the, the Metropolitan have already got a, a file on her, so we've arrested her before she even set foot on the roof. Uh, yeah, the job's done. And that's it. She's getting carted off into the van, and then she ends up running away from the van, and then she ends up like, jumping in the tar this. Then that might have been something, yeah, I know what you mean, but I think it's a shorthand, and it's just, it's not a vital component of the overall story. It's the intro level to a Tomb Raider game where they're teaching you the controls. It's essentially the tutorial, yeah. yeah. Press, X, press X to jump on bus. Yeah, which, which is fine, but it's too much. It's, it's almost showy. It, like A lot of this and the scenes with her are showy rather than telly. And I'd like there to be more tell, more explanation, not quite as much. Ooh, look at this. I think there's a whole raft of explanation once they're on that alien ship, but... Yeah, but that's 40 minutes in. Mm-hmm. I'd like some of it a bit sooner. Okay. from what yards defence on that point? Uh, nope, I think we're done. I think I'll just be, uh, we'll just be cycling around repeating ourselves. Yeah. Okay. That's what we usually do. Yep. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, Cameron, let's give us another point for the defence. Uh, what do we go to? 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 This story really manages to uh, firstly introduce two ever-growing threats into the shape of a wormhole growing over London and a race of aliens that reduce planets to dust, and then halfway through, directly links the two in one fell swoop. It's one of the aspects... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. If one of these That's aspects... There. Yeah, a little bit of sand in there. A little bit of people. Yeah. Uh, it's one of these aspects... If one of these aspects slows down, then there's always another to keep the pace up. So what I'm saying is that there's, you know, you've got two threats on two different levels. You've got the threat of the wormhole back in London, and you've got the threat of this alien swarm that are like going across the desert sands towards this bus. Um, you think for a long part of time that they are two separate things. They're both kind of like sort of ticking time bombs as far as the story goes. But then you realise about you know towards the end that they're actually kind of linked in the way that these things create the wormholes. And they could quite easily just go through the one that's opened by the bus and then end up... Um, we've established that metal can protect you when you go through the wormholes. So they will go through and then devour the entirety of London and ergo the planet. So it's the two separate kind of um, threats that suddenly within about a couple of scenes and lines of dialogue link quite neatly together and dovetail together and then become this ever-present growing threat for both the kind of dimensions that we're operating in. Which I thought was quite clever. I thought it was a good little bit of script writing there. Quite chuffed with that. Yeah, there's there's multiple points that I both agree with you and disagree with you on that one. That's good. That's a podcast. We should do the, that. thing is, yes, yeah. The friends we made were the people we breathed in along the way. <laughs> Episode title. Yep. Don't need any other ones. That's it. Done and dusted. There's actually a story about that. Uh, when my grandfather died, he was cremated. And because he was a merchant sailor, we decided to sprinkle his ashes down to the sea. So we, we all went down, me, my dad, my sister went down, Grant just sprinkled his ashes in the sea. My dad sprinkled a bit, I sprinkled a bit, my sister sprinkled some, and the wind changed. And as she was sprinkling my grandfather's ashes, the wind changed and got in her hair. So it was like just ash in her hair. So that kind of thing actually happened, and that happened to my sister. And we laugh about it to this day. It's the kind of thing you do, though. It is. <laughs> you know. That's why she shaved her head. Yep. Bald ever since. Uh, well, we've got a friend of the family whose mother died, and then she's um, she all is a very curious person. So when she picked up the ashes of her mom and had it on the coffee table in her house in the living room, she was there going, I wonder what they look like. So she opened it just a wee bit, and then there's this little cloud just bloomed out, you know, yeah, and, they, and she had no choice. But <laughs> so, God love her. There's a wee bit of her mother that got hoovered up by the dice. <laughs> yeah, well, at least in these two stories, there's a little bit of kind of dignity involved. I mean, we went up on holiday to Sky, uh, not Sky, sorry, went up on holiday to Mull and Fort William uh, a couple of weeks ah. ago, like referenced previously. Uh, and part of the reason we went up there is Lynn's granddad died recently. Uh, he oh, was right. also cremated, so we wanted to scatter some of his ashes up there uh, on the islands and Arisay and so on, because it's an area that needs quite a lot too. Mm-hmm. Now, my mother-in-law, lovely woman, decided that the best way to distribute the ashes, rather than take the whole one, was to put them into four separate containers. Takeaway tubs were used to take the dearly departed <laughs> on his travels. 
no. washed out, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I did make the point that they should have just got a big marker pen and wrote his name on the front of him in a legible yeah. writing. Just to really With complete the effect. Number 26. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's, oh, it's what he would have wanted, no. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody hell. Get him on, put him in the dishwasher. Isn't he? He's my game. Did he, make, did he make it, though? Did he Did he, Did he? he get the ashes spread up there? I suppose, in a did way, he made he it. No, he was cremated, Cameron. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. But, you know, did you get the ashes spread? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they, they were gone, yeah. Oh, that's okay. Well, in that's a way, fine. fine. Sorry, it's I'm the just... end result. It's not how you get there. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. so the, the idea of the entire civilization, the entire planet being turned to dust is a really nice level of threat. Mm -hmm. And it's nice that they're not evil. As the Doctor says, this is just natural what they do. So it's nice that the bad guys, and there's no bad guy in this story. There's a threat, yeah. but there's no bad guy. Nope. It could be argued that the only bad guy in this is the commander of the unit forces. Even... She though, but kind she's, of. She's got a good reason to threaten to shoot somebody in the head, but it's not well. a very friends of the doctor unit thing to do. Not really, no. And it's not a very sane thing to do either, because you have to do this because you're the only one that can do this, and if you don't, I'll shoot you in the head. That makes no logical sense. Oh, when she's gonna gun Malcolm? Yeah. Oh yeah 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 right okay. I'll I've worked out to do. We can shut the wormhole from here. Right, we'll do it then. Like, well, A, you're threatening somebody you should know quite well. E, logically, it makes no sense. And C, you should have faith in the Doctor. You've talked about it quite a lot already. I think she's stuck between a choice of saving the Doctor and the, what, five people that are on the bus at that point in time. And then faced with either saving them or saving the entirety of London and, by extension, Earth. Well, she's not faced with a binary choice. It's not them or them. It's you have time to wait. If bad guys come through Stargate, you close it then. You don't have like you don't have to shut it until you know the threat's coming through. Yes, there's a threat, but you've got a solution, so you've got time to wait. You can afford to wait. But who gets there first, isn't it? Yeah, and she can wait because she's got unit troops. She's got wrong guns, but they're guns, and she's got. Time. So as much as the wormhole is a threat, it's not a direct and immediate threat, it's a problem. Have we established that she knows that they can gun down the metal swarm? No, but she doesn't even swarm. know what they are. It's like... They've got a bit of analysis that shows what it is and that's it. Because I know they open fire at the end and they kill like the three of them or whatever that get through. Yeah. Because she does say that she's got like three dead manta rays and the... yeah. she'll have to tidy up. Yeah, they've got the wrong weapon system to deal with that, but that's a whole different point of a whole that's different podcast. That's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Because they're bringing rocket launchers on the back of the truck like they're the fucking Taliban. Which is just, no. <laughs> probably but, yeah. probably yes, funded by the same set. people. <laughs> Captain Jack, inshallah. Um, that, is, that, is a, that is a big finished box set that I'm going to attend. The Brigadier Leftbridge Stewart, the Afghanistan years. <laughs> Just him <laughs> hiding in a cave, growing out the beards. Growing out the beards, yep. Bringing down the gherkin in London with a plane. That time when Benton was saying that he was, you know, death to the West. <laughs> that kind of idea. But yeah, you're right. There are there are two stories here that come together. 
and it's yes. nicely done the way they come together. Mm -hmm. It's nice that they are threaded that way, but it's a shame that they don't ratchet up the tension differently because we know we've got the solution to close it. So if instead of pointing our gun at somebody saying, do I'll show you the face, she said we need to give the doctor as much time as possible, that would show her faith in the doctor, I would show that she's got trust in the science, and then the story still comes together the same way, but it doesn't make her look like a stupid idiot, which is a disservice to unit in the story writing terms. I think if you look at the alternative and she just turned around and went, oh, well, take your time, there's not going to be as much of a sort of dramatic tension build-up than there was in the original. Maybe, but there's some tension in the scene where she threatens to shoot someone, but then as soon as she removes that threat, the tension goes to an extent as well, and we're back to where we were before that. So that scene is just him saying we've got the ability to shut the wormhole, and that's it. That by the end, that's the only thing that's changed. Except that she looks like she doesn't have faith in herself, or the doctor, or the science. Have we seen her before and since? She half rung a bell and she half didn't, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I couldn't I think remember because either. she's very, very similar to Brigadier Bambira from Battlefield, who's played by Angela Bruce. That's where I was getting kind of and a bit... They play very, very similar characters. Amber is a bit kind of hard assed as well, and doesn't yeah. really have that much kind of uh, sort of fan worship for the Doctor, as it were. It, mm -hmm. it does also hark back to the British television problem of everyone's been in everything else. <laughs> well, yeah. Much like you said, Michelle Ryan's been in this and she goes on to be in other things, and pretty much every episode of New Who that you watch, there's people in it that have gone on to greater things. And there's people in it that have disappeared afterwards. And there's always that in every episode. Much like James Corden went on and cracked America. And hopefully it stays there. If we are talking about moving on to bigger and better things in this Daniel? episode, though... Daniel Clear? Yeah. I, yeah. Had to, I, I had to sit there and kind of go... And I have to fully admit here, I went, I have seen him in something before, <laughs> recently, and in Hollywood. And then I was a bit like, right... I better Google this to check because I don't want to have a situation where it's not him and then we have to sit there going, no, Cam, it was the other black guy. Because <laughs> there are only two. <laughs> this know, week of all weeks. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> want that kind of, that kind of, you know, the, you know that clip on the internet where the newsreader gets um, Samuel L. Jackson in an interview and again confused him with Lawrence Fishburne's roles. Yeah. <laughs> and starts going about how Samuel L. Jackson was great in The Matrix and Samuel L. Jackson loses his shit quite rightly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make us start having to take the knee at the start of every podcast, Cam. Come well, on. yeah, yeah, exactly. Get this right. Um, but it was, it's, he's from Get Out. Yeah. Um, he, he went on from this to go on to be an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. And then he went to do America. So, it, yeah, stratospheric. Yeah, he's done really well. You know, so if you're going to talk about moving on to sort of bigger and better things, arguably it's him. Yeah. It's There's always people in an episode that go on to do something impressive almost yeah uh, there's nothing like Kerry Mulligan and Andrew Garfield were in series 3 yeah and they've gone on to much bigger things <laughs> yeah Andrew Garfield the Spider-Man that's right yep Kerry Mulligan's was... Kerry Mulligan yeah she did other Hollywood stuff oh right aye 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 I think I couldn't remember who you meant there I think I know Sally Sparrow yes I was going to say Sally Sparrow yeah, and Blink yeah yeah Oh, I so she, yeah, I didn't. I that's that. the thing with British television. Everyone and everything has been in something else that you've seen, yeah. and it's not just because they've been in something else that Stephen Moffat wrote, which seems to be quite prevalent at the moment. 
a little bit aye. it seems to be that, well they always seem to sort of rely on who the showrunners tend to sort of bring in people they've maybe worked with before that's probably always been the case though hasn't it I mean producers yeah. of all the old series would rely on the same people that they've yeah, you know, used like, oh, we'll that's get XYZ because they're really good yeah. I mean, that's why you get folk like you know, Prentice Hancock and uh, Philip Maddock turning up time and again in the old series mm, yeah. in several roles because you know they save better hands you know it's going to be a good casting choice so they'll go for that oh there you go <laughs> <laughs> pointing out the bleeding obvious that's what I'm here for well yeah but that's, that's what you're there for that's what you're there for Oh, okay, the next point for the prosecution, David Cummings, on you go. There's a point that I wasn't sure about making earlier, but I think it needs made. There's a lot of almost lazy stereotyping in this, because as much as you've got the posh white woman who is Lara Croft, you've got the working class bus driver who's willing to take a bribe to get somebody on the bus for free, you've got the black teen trying to pawn off a fake watch, and you've got the mystical black woman with her psychic visions. There's a lot of this that just seems quite lazy. We we need somebody who can see things and can see the future, who we're only putting in so she can give a prophecy at the end. That's the only reason that character's in this. So what we need is somebody, oh, I don't know, let's get a mystic black woman. Because one of the producers watched Ghost last week and Whoopi Goldberg does a great job in that. And, and it feels very much like that. With the two young lads, they're relatively interchangeable. But the one with the fake watch is the black kid doesn't have to be, and they could have just had the white kid do it, but it feels a almost unconscious racism. The old couple, the old black couple, are going home to have pork chops and gravy, and I can't think of anything more offensive than pork chops and gravy, but that's a whole different thing. But I just think there's a lot of low-level, it's, it's not quite racism, but it's almost subconscious stuff in this. Let's not forget that this is co-written by Gareth Roberts, so minorities might not be the best represented in yeah. this story. It's very much... Yeah, lazy is probably how I'd sum it up, because a lot of these people are caricatures. We need somebody to give a prophecy at the end so we'll get a wise black woman. That'll do. Well, she needs to have another half, so there's characterisation there. All right, then we'll get an old black man in a pork pie hat, because it's London, isn't it? We need a couple of young lads, alright, one white, one black, because that's both boxes tacked. Which one's got the fake watch? Black guy, obviously. And it just feels very lazy and stereotypical. I think Barclay's been um, the the victim of an exchange of a fake watch. I don't think he's trying to maliciously palm a fake watch off the doctor. He's not kind of like, you know, hey, hey, geezer, geezer, you're right here. <laughs> None of that going on. He's a bit genuinely surprised that, oh, alright, it's not gold, whatever. Yes, there's a few corners being cut in this but I think you have got as we said a 55 minute runtime to get across these characters fairly quickly in people's minds that may and often does in a televisual sense in any kind of entertainment result in going for the short kind of hand or oh, this is this and this is this and this person would be this so yeah perhaps guilty on that count but it kind of has a reason to do so in that it can't go too deep. There's like five, six people on this bus. It can't go too deep into everyone's backgrounds uh, for no. sake of runtime. Although, as I say, the prosecution have already said this evening they would like more of this. Sadly, we shared a tear that there can't possibly be. Sorry, I'm waffling. No, I think to an extent you're right, but it wouldn't have taken much to have the same story with the same points being hit in it without them having to be hit by the obvious people. The white woman, she's only on there because she can drive a bus. 
but it's never discussed that she can drive a bus. Why is she driving the bus? Because you could have just had the old black guy or the young black guy that's good at mechanics driving the bus. I don't think he's good at mechanics, though. I think it's like he took a two-week national it, diploma or something. All right, he's shit at mechanics, but he's got confidence with it. He's, he's, he's the closest they have to a mechanic, <laughs> but that was about it. Good luck taking the air filler off a London bus without any tools. Yeah, although the uh, the, the the doctor suddenly starts chiming on about changing the air filter and doesn't bother to actually do it himself, if he knows what he's doing. Yeah. If he can identify an air filter, I'm pretty sure he can. Then, you know. But anyway, by the by. But, but um, yeah, the, the characters are... The story plot all needs done, and I get that. Hmm. But they don't need to have those characters hitting those points because that is just lazy. They could have had the white woman being the one with the psychic visions. But then it needs explained by her husband. So fuck it, have an interracial couple. Because you can, it's 2009. They're allowed to buy property now. It's like, it's just so lazy. And I get that they almost tried to show the multiculturalness of London. But it came off almost the opposite way. For me anyway. Okay, I think you'd have a... Your two answers to that are probably either go the way they did, in which case, you know, a couple of corners and do a bit of shorthand or go deeper into character backgrounds that have less characters but I think the less characters you have the less kind of threat there is and the less options you have to get out of that situation because they are essentially like a survivors group yes and they have to each kind of give up it was literally just the doctor Christina and a random someone else a random say the driver that would be a bit they'd have to basically leave him digging out a the wheels on his own. Yeah, but, but the driver has to die so that they can get through the wormhole. Yes, because the driver but, has to, you know, someone has to die straight off to point out the obvious audience thing of, why don't they just jump back through the wormhole? But that um, also removes the knowledge of the bus, so they have to work stuff out for themselves. Yeah. So that's why the bus driver dies. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's stuff like that. But I think any less in this group, and you're running the risk of making it look a bit ridiculous as far as the amount of people. Yes goes but you so you, i think it's the of the two options you have to you know you have to save on background detail and then go for more people uh, yeah but as i say the storylines and the spots they hit are all fine the points they make are all fine the way they tell it is all fine it's just the characters they put in to tell each point seem a bit lazy and easy because they could have had the white woman being psychic but they went with the old black woman they could have but they didn't. <laughs> so, no, and I completely get that. Yeah, I just yeah, think yeah. it's a bit. It's, it's, I know what you mean. There's a bit of. Um, you, it's almost automatic casting. Have you, have you played Secret of Monkey Island? No. No. I was just about to say, there's a woman in that who's like the voodoo mistress of the entire island. And she's like the black woman that sits in there and goes, oh, I'm getting visions of the. and all this kind of stuff. Um, which is done for comedy effect and. You know, Secret of Monkey Island, but in here, it, this is what it kind of reminded me of a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that someone had maybe played Monkey Island and just went, I can't remember her name in the game, but she's something, Madame Le Something or whatever. Um, and she is the archetypal sort of, you know, voodoo priestess yes. kind of thing going on. And that's kind of like a bit where this kind of, I can kind of get your drift on that, it's, you know, it's for that role anyway. It's the it Stephen King story of the stand there's a pandemic that kills most people in the world and there's an old black woman that called mother abigail who sees the future and is psychic and i, I had versions of that in it because it's right. the same kind of thing didn't 
not read that. You haven't played Monkey Island, I've not read The Stand. What a yeah. wonderful point we've made here. <laughs> but it, it's a similar kind Somewhere of Somewhere there's mutual ground being hit here. You can see it in a 1970s Bond film where there's the wise old black woman and it's just lazy. It is, it is largely corner cutting on telling the story. That's because you get all the stuff that comes in with it. You go, oh, she's psychic, but she's black and she's a woman, so she probably is psychic. Oh, and they win the lottery. Yes, but not too much. You know, what I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, they only win a ten. They only win ten pound every two weeks or something like that, isn't it? No, it's, it's ten it's pounds like twice a week. Like ten pound twice a week. Yeah, so they get twenty quid a week for nothing, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's like I think if they were like millionaires, if she was like gunning for like, you know winning, you know, oh no, we've won. 15 yeah. million quid in the last year. But what you do is why you would, buy a why ticket. Would on the bus? You buy a ticket, win a tenner, take that tenner and buy 10 tickets next time yeah. with the same numbers on them and you win 100 quid. So, yeah, they're obviously not that bright. Which, yeah, again, is stereotyping. <laughs> yeah, by you. <laughs> yeah. Not by the writers. Really? By the prosecution, but, surely. But, but they saw you coming, mate. So, of the two young lads, they decide the black one was the one with a fake watch that wasn't that bright. Because what they know, he's smart enough to get out. Wow. Just wow. Anything more to add than that one? No, I just, yeah. It's, it's been 12 years and times have changed, but they weren't changed that much. Okay then. Right, Cameron, give us another point for the defence then. Right, okay. I feel I'm on dodgy ground with this one with the judge. But we'll have a swing <laughs> at this one anyway. Proceed with here, caution, Mr. Phillips. Here we go. David Tennant shines in this one. Get out. Um, <laughs> Get out of my courtroom right now. <laughs> the story of the Doctor being alone prevails around this sort of time of Doctor, Doctor Who in this era. And obviously there was an element here of David Tennant would have to... Having no companion between season four and his exit as such, he would have to sort of make instant relationships with all other characters on an almost temporary basis. We all discussed earlier about how him his relationship with Christina in this one. Uh there's the woman scientist in Waters of Mars as well, mm-hmm. who he ends up having to befriend. And it's it's his ability to get over those relationships quite quickly, you know, get them over to an audience quite quickly. And not have like, you know, two, three episodes of bed and in time with some companion to get, you know, to rely on uh, ideally, you can tell that he's getting the best out of what was a sort of truncated season. Because remember when this was broadcast, he did Hamlet in the same year, and I don't remember this at the time. But you, I don't know if you guys did either. There wasn't. I think if they sat sat there today and said, "Oh, Doctor Who's only going to do three episodes and do three specials this year." They'd be like, that's it, it's cancelled, it's gone shit. <laughs> there was none of they're that. They're already saying that. So. Yeah, well, they're already saying, you know, it's gone on eight episodes because of corona, but shit. There was none of that around about 2009, because we're only obviously four years away from it coming back. Yeah. And this would have seemed like a kind of climb down, what they're not doing a full scale season for one year. But I think David Tennant reaps the benefit of this. In that I don't think there's anything really worse than a burnt-out doctor in the lead role. 
I think once you got, you know, your ideal examples, you know, sort of like Tom Baker and Legopolis and this kind of stuff, who's yeah. genuinely comes across as a tetial get. <laughs> it's because exactly he was at the time. Exactly the example get. I was about to offer to the court. Yes, exactly. Words so for words. I think it, it, it's, it's obvious that he's he's got a kind of like last day of term thing going on as well, I think, because he knows by this point he's leaving and he's at the door in less than a year. And he seems to be having a lot of fun with just, you know, playing about being the Doctor, doing a role which he's obviously heavily invested in, being a fan of the show from a young age. He shares that kind of honour with Capaldi as well in the modern day era. You know, they were fans growing up. Yeah. They know what this means. Uh, this is a British institution of television. And it just came across like, you know, this maybe wouldn't have worked as a story in say if it was like episode 7 of a 13 episode run or something like that. Given David Tennant the time to do other things, Hamlet in this case and having a chance to breathe really comes through in his performance. It's probably one of the better David Tennant episodes as a result, I'd say. I like David Tennant as a doctor, he's not my favourite ever. I think he brings a lot to the role though but I think he kind of he shines in this because he's given the opportunity I've had a breather and not have this constant pressure of what by now had been, you know, probably Doctor Who in 2009 is probably a, popular, a level of popularity that no one really ever saw coming when it came back in 2005. Yeah. And it hasn't maybe arguably been since. You know, I don't know what the viewing figures were like in the Matt Smith era in comparison to David Tennant, but I don't think it was as much. But uh, that's what I'd say. From the performances put on in this, it certainly... A bit of a belt. Dave? Yeah, I don't really agree with uh, many of the points that Karen made. It. Is, it's a very light performance by David Tennant. I think by this point he's become so used to the role that thanks to the fact that it's only a few episodes this year, he's able to take a run-up at it, but he's got the energy to actually take the run and get involved and do it properly the way he'd like to do it without having to think of the fact that he's got the next script to learn. And he's got another one to do interviews for, and he's got something else to do for Doctor Who, and he's got table reads for the next episode after that. I think the fact that he can concentrate on this almost makes it look like he's put less effort in, and he's able to just inhabit the role more. So I'd agree with that. But I think the fact that he is trying to make such a connection with Lady Christina almost does it down. Because throughout the whole episode, you're thinking, oh, okay, so she's going to be a new companion. She's going to be a recurring character. And then it's just like, nope, bye. Don't want to be with you. Posted, whatever. <laughs> and it's... It's very much, yeah, that, that was a great time. Here's your coat, I've phoned you a taxi. It, 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 it's built up throughout the story as being something else. And then it's just completely disposed of. And it doesn't even necessarily add to the Doctor's character. It just shows that he's a bit of a dick to her. We could have been great. Yeah, we were. Later. Plot. But we're in very much deep into I Travel Alone territory. Yes. Right now, for this entire year, it was pretty much, no, it's me on my own. I keep losing companions. We had the ending with the season four with the reality bomb and bloody Catherine Tate giving it the whole time lady thing Dr. Donna Dr. Donna that was the one that was the one and her not even remembering him and stuff like that maybe if for argument's sake Lady Christina had to come along 
in the first few episodes of Matt Smith. Maybe that would have been them two together and it would have hit. But I think it's just the, the Doctor's in that part of, you know, where it's like, I'm not ready for another relationship. Which I think made the end of it a bit shocking, because he had led her on. It was a little bit kind of, well, not, I don't think he'd led her on in a romantic sense, but in a companionship sense, maybe. She does think she's going to get saved, and this is going to be her way out. He'd freely shared information and stories with her. He wasn't, I can't tell you that, because it's, you know... Like, I'm a download off from Gallifrey, I can travel yeah, to space yeah, and time. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of explanation going on there. And the next bit is the invite, and it never and comes. Yeah. And it makes lots of references, like, throughout the episode, oh, we're such a great team, me and you. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. you know, it's pretty gallus at the end when he just goes, nah, you're not coming with me. But I think that's the same. I can really see us falling in love and spending more time together, maybe getting married. The next morning, there's your taxi. But yeah, well, they're not that... If you're going to go down that relationship road, they're at that kind of sense where she's on the threshold of the door of the TARDIS. I think in, the, in his in his mind, as soon as she sets foot over the threshold of that door, that's him having to have the effort of another relationship, which he's not quite ready for. Whether it be romantic or whether it be companions for traveling, whatever, he's just not bothered by it. Maybe the th- it shows that the character has a thought that maybe you know, it would be great and in his mind, yeah, it'd be fantastic, and she's great, and blah 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 blah. But then, as soon as the reality of it hits in, like kind of going on, as soon as she comes in this door, that's it. That's obviously when the breakers go on. So he's scared of commitment. Yeah, exactly. It's like any kind of relationship after that. You've been burnt, you know. He's not going to mention that his last companion's now an ordinary person again. Was a time lord can't remember about the time <laughs> together because otherwise she'll burn up as a neutron star. But. And he knocks up one of the ones before that. Aye, and you know, there's all that kind of jazz. But it's not. Well, no... the sort of thing you want to share on the first date, is it? No, it's not the sort of thing you share on the first date. You don't want to talk about your exes on first date, surely. So, yeah, I, there was a little bit of a kind of like, it's a bit callous, but then I think that's why they kind of save it at the end with him unlocking her handcuffs, which out of context sounds dirtier than it actually meant to be. <laughs> Um, but... but you're taking some time to think about that. No, no, <laughs> no. I feel the judge is putting aspersions on my character in this courtroom this evening. I am only going by what was said in the WhatsApp conversation and off-air recording. Between my other podcast family who are clipping on me, is that is that? <laughs> yeah. Your favourite family, you mean? Well, yeah. first, first family. First family. Yeah. Depends on which we, depends on which we pay the maintenance, isn't it? Anyway, where was I? Yeah, aye. That's why, like, they have a sort of turn at the end where he frees her and she ends up stealing the bus and getting away that way. Which, ironically, is what she owns when she's on the big finish audio. Because <laughs> she's, she's driving the bus. So, yeah, I, I, I feel, to summarise, there's an element of the Doctor thinking that he's okay with another companion, but when the reality hits, maybe not. But then still wishing that person vaguely well and not wishing them to be in a jail cell. Utter callousness would have been leaving her to get arrested and buckling the back of a police car. Allowing her to get arrested for what she'd actually done. That's not exactly callous. Because she kind of knew going into the robbery she could get arrested for that. The callous thing is saying, look at what I am, look at what I've got, look at what I can offer you. Nah, I want you now. That's callous. It's very much a look at what you could have won. Are you saying it's David Tennant's One Night Stand? It's almost more catfishing than One Night Stand because he shows her something that he's not going to give her and that she can't have and then he takes it all away. 
to so it's, it's more cat fishing. I'm going to Google what cat fishing means. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be down the aquarium section of Dobby's Garden Centre tomorrow, isn't it? Google's just Google's just Googled catfish for me. Thought I brought up a picture of Tony Hancock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, that's they, what, all, that's what they all remember. They all remember the episode in Sid James Catfish Tony Hancock. That's my wallpaper. It's hilarious. <laughs> Hi. Um, I do, sorry, where were we? Tony Hancock? Catfishing Tony Hancock? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Catfishing with Tony Hancock. Is that a programme? <laughs> it's an episode title in the making. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Go back to your point. I think you're largely right. It's really well acted by Tennant, but he doesn't have much to do because he's so used to doing the role. And I think from a writing perspective, it's not very doctorish the way he treats her, which you can see is because that's where the doctor was at the time. But I don't think most doctors would have behaved that way to someone. That's why I think of your point. Sixth probably would. <laughs> I'm going to get very prisoner if we just start referring to them by their numbers. <laughs> I'm not a number. I'm an unbound one. Okay. Uh, should we go open can you day? imagine Lady Christina travelling with Colin Baker? Imagine how different that would have been. Yeah, because you wow. would have been like three at the time. No, but if you're gonna like, if we're gonna play that game, we have of like swapping around, you know, uh, companions and uh, and doctors and things like that. Like, Do you want to play that when we're in the same place, Cameron? We don't play that over the internet. <laughs> swapping companions. <laughs> Throw your keys at the ball. I knew he was gonna make that joke. I knew that. I can kind of read Dave's sense of humour. Although he hasn't hit the ten pound trigger yet, so the cash prize is still there to be won. It is. But it I'm is. not the one that wins it. So which we didn't, ex- to me which we didn't explain. Which we didn't explain at the start of the episode. So that's we, we probably should now. <laughs> yeah, aye. Um, well, well, I was watching the the this with Kyle, and um, there was a certain bit, and I thought Dave's going to make this joke, and I told Kyle the joke about this bit, and Tenor says. And so Kyle was like, yeah, all right. And I was just like, oh, great, okay. I'm going to owe my son a tenner if uh, if Dave says this joke. And uh, then you said, I'll give him another tenner if he then does this as an extension of that. I was like, all right. So Kyle's been rubbing his hands together thinking he's going for 20 quid at the minute he's got now. Yeah, I don't think he's going to get 20 quid. I think we're, we're kind of getting to the end now. Yeah. At the moment, our money is safe, but it can all change in a flash. It could all if, change in a flash. Do you want to give us a point for the prosecution? Maybe this is the time. I bet Lady Christina can't change in a flash. Nope. <laughs> Can you imagine how cosy she must have got in that outfit, filming in a desert location? I normally would have done on a soundstage in Cardiff. Probably not was as cosy no... as guys in a flight costume. Was it no Tunisia uh, in for this? Dubai, I think it was. Was it Dubai? Christ. But yeah, she must have been so cosy in that by the end. Like, they talk about the smell inside the bus of sweat at one point. She's wearing head to toe black in Dubai, and it's light black, as I'm sure Cameron noticed. Uh, so, was this not also the one where the bus isn't supposed to be damaged? But that's it true. was yeah. in transit, so yeah, they had to was... quickly write a line saying, oh, look, it got crushed in the time warp. <laughs> Some heavy crumpling was involved in its transport out to Dubai. Uh, so, yes. Balance up on you went out there. Why would you write into the script? Yeah, which is a lot cheaper. Yeah, I remember that now. Talk to you confidential. God rest its soul. Oh, a moment's silence, please. Yes, a moment's silence, please, for Doctor Who Confidential. And it's world of knowledge. It's like the DVD extra is being broadcast directly into your home. <laughs> I've given it a respectful send-off. I've cremated it and put it into takeaway cartons. 
Yep. Mm. Distributed. in the people's hair on the bus. <laughs> what they would have wanted. <laughs> it's what they would have wanted. So, so my final point for this is kind of almost a summing up. Okay. And it's that this story is like somebody threw darts at an idea wall. There's so much that they've just thrown in this that you can see where they've got it from. You've got the stunt casting of Lee Evans. You've got that lassie from EastEnders. You've got Tomb Raider. But you know what? We have to make a Doctor Who episode, so we'll throw in a London bus, even though we film it in Cardiff. But we can't just have it in London, so uh, we'll put it in a desert. That'll do, because we've done desert stories before and they were all right. But, all right, but we, we can't bring back any of the, you know, the Daleks, the Cyberman, it has to be a new body. Uh, a swarm, just eat everything like locusts. Yeah, right, that'll do. But not locusts. No, but I like the insect idea, so we'll have fly people as well. And that's it. They just throw all of this in and come out with an alright story. But, as Cameron said, there's almost two stories here. There's one of the Warfall and one of the Swarm. And then there's the story of the Posh Lady Thief, which is another story. And they throw in the prophecy at the end, that he will knock four times. It just feels like it's all almost cobbled together of other bits and pieces that they couldn't quite get a full episode out of. And it's all good ideas, but they're not all fully fleshed out enough. If they were fully fleshed, they'd get a whole episode. But they're not. It's almost like they had enough ideas for a full 13, 14 episode season. And they just threw some of them away, but kept too many for this. Rapturous applause from the audience there. <laughs> no. It's a nice, self-contained story. As I say, there's two things going on at once, as I've already said earlier on the podcast. So it's very much the script writing thing of Meanwhile Back at the Ranch, in which case you have two things running at the same time. If you run out of steam with one, you just go across the other until you run out of steam with that and you can go back to the and go back across from the two. Um, it's a nice self-contained special. I'd say it still belts along at a fair old rate. It does have a fair bit of stuff to set up in... It's not like a standalone story on an island on its own. It does have to set up the, you know, the final regeneration for Tenant. But, but that feels really. like an afterthought. It's the only reason we're showing the black woman psychic, and then it's an after show at the end. That could have been a Doctor Who confidential YouTube exclusive. But it's not, though. <laughs> no, no. But it's... if you take out that part of the story, you're left with a 45-minute episode that isn't linked to anything else. That's just tacked on at the end. But it does feed into something a lot bigger. It does feed us into... I can't remember though, was there anything at the end of Waters of Mars that was similar? At the end of Waters of Mars, there's a whole sort of Time Lord Victorious, I can do what I want, I'm the lonely god, you all must obey me. And then Lindsay Duncan's character objects to being having her history rewritten, so kills herself to rewrite the timelines. At which point, the dude appears and then he realises, I've gone too far now. And then mm. does a runner. So there's, there's not so much of the prophecy in Waters of Mars. I was going to say, it's been a year since I've seen Waters of Mars. So I couldn't there's a realisation that he's, okay, I'm going too far now. Yeah, because it's a realisation he, yeah, so. he, need, he needs someone to keep him in check rather than, mm. you know, and he's, that's why he decides that the companion thing might have been quite handy. Yeah. Maybe he should have said yes to Lady Christina. And she'd have been around to tell him to stop being stupid. But hey, we can all, you know, it's not like we've got a time machine to go back and fix these mistakes. You know. Captain McGambo has appeared before. She right. appeared in Turn Left. Oh. Her oh, unit yeah. helped make the time machine. Aye, that's right, yeah. There you go. Been aeons since I've seen Turn Left as well, so I can't remember. Yeah, it. but that's where we've seen her before. Mm -hmm. It's got Catherine Tate in, I'll probably avoid that one. 
Was she in the Suntaran two part in series four as well then? Because that was only a couple of episodes before and it had Unit in it, from what no. I remember. No. Oh, okay. the Atmos one. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Nah, she's not in it. No, no, no. Okay, well, she has a recurring character then. There we go. Turn left and Planet of the Dead, that's her. That's it. I'm done. Right. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I was getting. I was getting the feeling that the summing ups had already begun here. So, uh, well, I, was, I had one last point that I'll probably check. Well, I had two actually, but I think one of them's a bit rubbish. So, Go for it if you want. Well, I've got two, and I'm trying to work out which one's going to be the best one. It's got a pressure there. <laughs> what do you think's good? Or the best? No, What's I'm really going to bring it home for you? We've talked about <laughs> enough about unit. Right. Okay. Wrap up the tension. Drum roll, please. Knock four times. As on the ceiling, if you were no, sorry, <laughs> one too many knocks. Obviously, <laughs> sorry, Governor. Um, Your opportunity uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> too late. <laughs> um, the doctor. We've worked it now. <laughs> sorry, Governor. On you go. Dave's just waiting. I can see him. I can see him, look, as soon as I start talking and trying to make a point, Dave's going to go. I'll, I'll make sure that Dave doesn't interrupt you. On you go. All right, okay. There you go. It's fine. The doctor often gets his... Yeah, he's, uh, he's totally uh, going to blow it with this one, isn't he, Dave? Is that, he's not even worth mentioning it. And I was going to say quietly, I decided I, that wasn't going to do the expected thing. Well, I was going to be respectful for a change. <laughs> going to be for a change? Yeah. For a change. Okay, Cameron, on you go. That was the impartial right. judge that ruined it. Um... <laughs> As we know, the Doctor often gets a chance to give grand speeches uh, during some episodes and some stories. Uh, some of them have been etched in the memories of the Doctor Who fans for years, such as Capaldi and the Zygon Inversion, or Tom Baker's Do I Have the Right in Genesis. But I'd argue there's another one here in the shape of Chops and Gravy. Um, it's not a speech given about you know grandiose wars on different planets. It's a speech given about celebrating small, tiny details in your life and how wonderful they might be. And it works as a kind of example for us to remember smaller things in life and celebrate even just things that might seem insignificant, but also gives us an idea of, again, the Doctor's fascination with the human race as a whole and the wee details that we have in our lives that make us special. You know what I mean? I quite liked that speech he gives on the bus to kind of unite all the wee, you know, the wee group together. You know, the chops and gravy. What are you going to do? You were going to go home and watch some telly. Um, what are you going to do? I was going to go and visit Tina. Is she your girlfriend? Maybe. Not kind of yet. Thing. You know, not yet. Pretty Tina um, sad she missed out on Daniel Kaluuya, though. Probably, you know. <laughs> we'll take it right there. Exactly. So, yeah, I quite... It's probably not often going to be one a, a sort of doctor speech that's referred back to, as I say. It doesn't have any great sort of like, you know, massive ramifications. But I think on a character level, it works really well. And on a kind of lower level of this is the Doctor, you know, giving us an example of his fascination with the human race, why Earth means so much to him, is this. You know, chops and gravy, wonderful stuff. In my notes I've written, chops and gravy, who eats chops with gravy? Because I do think that's insane. If you eat meat with a bone in it, you don't have gravy with it. Because you can't see what you're eating. It messes it up. Well, you mentioned Chops and Gravy harking back to something previous in Doctor Who. I was trying to remember if they're musical act in Talon's Adventure, Yang. Right, the gentlemen, Chips and Gravy. Oh, Mr. Jago. <laughs> Sponsored by Bisto. <laughs> what a wonderful act, sir. I have brought for you this evening. <laughs> 
What was it we said on Facebook to Bob? Harder than the Congo drummers! <laughs> oh, yeah, because that was the uh, Tom Baker curry sauce and Uranus yes. thing, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Like, Tom Baker and curry sauce sounds like a last-minute racist replacement for legs and go on top of the pops. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> so glad I never go on Facebook. <laughs> you should join in on these things. You know, you end up talking to people, it's great. Can't think of anything worse than ending up talking to people. I know. I Imagine know. talking to our listeners. Imagine engaging with an audience. <laughs> Fuck's sake. The last thing the people that hear this won't is for me to talk to them. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> but yeah, to go back to your point that you made. Yes. I, I watched this this afternoon because I do my yes. prep relatively late and I make notes as I go. Yes. So my notes for this are chops and gravy, huge chops with gravy, and then I've written usual speech. Because that's what it felt like to me. I was like, oh, it's time for a tenant to make his every episode speech. Because in my head, that's what he does. Every episode he makes a speech about, yeah, but this is why we're going to win. We won't let them win. Today, this is our Independence Day or whatever fucking speech it is this week. And it might just be that that's how I view tenant these days. as always making a speech in every episode. But oh, that's that, what it felt like for me. That tenant always talking. He, he's oh, he's getting ready for Hamlet. He's gonna make his last poor York. Let's find him on the beaches. <laughs> banging on about getting on a plane and staged. His stupid fucking hair and a ponytail. Sat there shouting at Michael Sheedon. The doctor we should have had. Yeah. Well, tenant's got whatever accent that is. He's decided on this week. Wherever that's meant to be from. I say, so Michael Sheen would have made a fantastic doctor. I'm still pushing for Michael Sheen to be the doctor. I do casting choice. They've been my, they've been my want for the doctor. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see why. It'd be amazing. Now you know what? Olivia Coleman is the doctor. Sheen is the master. Good work. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah good work, actually. Michael Sheen, but playing Brian Clough as the master. <laughs> Michael Sheen playing Harley Sheen. <laughs> Martin Sheen dressed as Brian Clough with the doctor dressed as Don Weavey at a TV studio having an argument Hello, Sit- is that the Melopedia? We'd like to buy more storage please <laughs> 200 terabyte? Yeah that should do it Come on, I'm guessing Millie's seen the damn No maybe she hasn't seen the damn right? <laughs> no. Why would she have? <laughs> It's a good film. We can ask her. I suspect this answer might be no. I was suspecting that what ninety nine percent the answer is going to be no. But unless it's she's a closet solved. Nottingham Forest fan, then well, I think most Forest fans are. <laughs> I was going to say she might be a Leeds fan, but I almost threw up in my mouth thinking. No, I wouldn't wish that. No, oh, she's she's no, too. Wish that, let alone Millie. She's too nice. She can't be a Leeds fan. No way. I'm not sure you said that. Our eyes aren't close together either, so she can't be from Leeds. She can't be from Leeds, no. Okay, shall we begin summing up? We probably better. I think I've made all my points. There's the one that I've thrown the wayside, but that'll be fine. All right. Dave, do you want to give us a closing statement? No bother. This has all the hallmarks of what could be a good story. It's slightly too long. Slightly overacted. The characters are slightly too easy and too lazy. The doctor is slightly too relaxed doing it. The police are slightly shit at their jobs. Unit are slightly shit at their jobs. It's all just not quite there. They've taken loads of elements that would make for a great story and gone, 
Yeah, that'll do. But we'll have it kind of like Lara Croft, but not. We'll have a kind of good companion, but not really because he'll throw away at the end. We'll have the Doctor kind of doing technical stuff, but not really because somebody else will do it. We'll have somebody who's kind of psychic leading it on for the next bit, but not really because, you know, can't quite twice a week. It doesn't really count. And it's all just not quite there. The only bits that are really truly there are crap. The things that are really there stand out because things like Lee Evans overacting, which breaks the belief in the story. If all of it was at a medium level, it would be fine. But some of it's at a high level, some of it's at a low level, and it just doesn't quite fell together as a good episode. It feels like it could be 40 minutes long, and it feels like it could be an hour and 20 minutes long, and you're never quite sure which is right, because it doesn't just quite click. It's not the worst thing ever, but it's a lot of missed opportunities, and that's why I think it's guilty of crimes, because it could have been so much better. Okay then, Cameron, do you want to give us the summon up for the defence, please? I think further on to what I've been saying uh, tonight, at the risk of repeating myself, I think it's a certainly worthy of um, the tag of being a special in a season full of uh, special episodes. I think David Tennant shines quite well in it, as we've said before. It's uh, it's good that he's given given a bit of breathing space in the project, and it shows that he's not burdened with the role of the Doctor at this particular moment in time. Um, I think the casting's good. I think Lee Evans works quite well as a kind of doughty wee scientist that gives the comic relief. I think Michelle Ryan also came into it at the right time and is fantastic in it as the character. There's an instant chemistry between the Doctor and Lady Christina. I think it works well in the fact that there's two stories that are both a ticking time bomb threat that then combine within a couple of seconds to be an even bigger threat. And I think it's... Um, certainly not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who by the fact that even the prosecution this evening at the start of this uh, podcast have said that they would like it to be longer and even more. It seems that they've been a bit undecisive as to what they wanted here. You know? I don't think um, we are talking about the episode there. No. Uh, it zips by and it's um, and I don't think it's anywhere near guilty of any crimes against Doctor Who whatsoever. Well, I'm just glad it's not up to you because you're wrong. Shall we go to the verdict? Probably shall. Yes. That's the format. Hear ye! Hear ye! The Colts in session. Now, here come the judge. Here come the judge. Okay, right, let's start with some of the things that you guys have been talking about before we get into the details. Um, Dave, you're right, there's aspects of this that do seem very, very rushed. Thank you, and good night. <laughs> Guilty! <laughs> <laughs> the, your point about the characters in the bus, yeah, that that's true. They do seem uh, sort of very underbaked, and uh, you get the feeling that they're just there to be fret fodder. There's a whole scene, and granted, it is a nice scene for the doctors, you know, talking about old chops and gravy and going and your girlfriends, and you were just going back to look, watch the telly, but that's nice. And while that's good, and while that shows David Tennant's doctor having a sort of empathetic side, that we don't always see it this juncture of his tenure. It just kind of feels like, yeah, here's a quick bit of backstory. We'll forget about you until things get dangerous. So they never really kind of feel fleshed out, the supporting characters. They're just there to be sort of menaced. Thanks. Lady Christina, let's get into it. I was going to say, let's get into Michelle Ryan. But enough about Cameron's fantasies. Excuse me. Oh, you said you would. No. Exactly. <laughs> we'll have enough of the fake outrage, thank you very much. Yes. I... <laughs> yeah, whatever. 
felt the old man. <laughs> I'm younger than you. So you're still a filthy old man, right? Order, not old. order in court. Come on, everyone's younger than me, apart from him. Right, <laughs> the character of Lady Christina. Uh, Dave's point about her not being much of an audience identification figures true. There's not really anything you can sort of latch onto. She's a bit, like you say, a bit of a caricature of like Lara Croft. However, she does work well with David Tennant's Doctor. The two of them do have a bit of a chemistry on the floor, so you can sort of see them, you know, doing more episodes together. In a way, it's a bit of a shame that she doesn't stick around for the Waters of Mars, at least. David Tennant, now, I like David Tennant. And I, I, I get, especially every time I, did, I could do a David Tennant episode, it's suggested that I don't like him. I do like David Tennant. I just don't like his doctor. But he's good in this. Uh, you've got a sort of softer side of the 10th Doctor here. He's not, you know, kind of the, the sort of arrogant, egotistical one we see in the waters of Mars. He shows quite a lot of empathy to people, gives people things to do, makes them feel worthwhile and important. And I think that actually ties into what Cameron was saying about this is his last hurrah, you know, it's a last chance to be the fun Doctor. You know, it, it, it shows throughout this episode. Uh, they do some nice things with Unit as well. They're, they're quite willing to abandon the Doctor uh, for the sake of the human race. It's not like kind of the cuddly Brigadier Benton sort of approach of, well, the Doctor knows what he's doing, no matter how much danger we're in, let's wait for him. They're quite willing to just cut him off. I quite like the idea that Doctor's unwilling to be caught up in all this thing at the start when he's investigating something else, rather than turning up knowing everything that's going on that often happens. The production of it, it's a good idea to shift it to Dubai. I mean, we've come a long way from sticking a Rootmaster on Conway Beach here. It <laughs> looks impressive. Uh, there's good visuals going on with the oncoming swarm of beasties at the end. Uh, you know, this, this is genuinely difficult. Uh, it's a big Daft Bank holiday action movie of an episode and it doesn't pretend to not be that. David Tennant and Michelle Ryan are a good combination. And I was thinking that I was going to go not guilty, but Dave's arguments have won me round. There's some nice things going on here, but they all seem a bit kind of underbaked. And while it's fun to watch and it's not exactly taxing, you do kind of feel that it could have been a bit more. You could have got more out of this episode. Lee Evans in particular. Yeah, I've come around to Dave's way of thinking that maybe he's not the ideal fit here. So, I'm going to have a say that by the smallest of margins, all those details, that Planet of the Dead is guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Dave, you've won me around with your arguments. Oh, nah, it actually happens on this, because normally you've pretty <laughs> much decided. Say, that is a rarity. Yeah. A rarity. You, you accuse me of not being impartial, but you forget I am a Doctor Who fan as well, so, you know, oh. I'm going to come oh. in with some sort Are of... Are you? But I do... But I do, <laughs> I do let your arguments influence the final decision. Yeah, I think that's... Because that's the format. Yeah, it is. Yeah, thank you. You're right, I am right. Cameron wrong. <laughs> Such but is life. I think it's relatively close because there's nothing massively offensive about this. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's a very, very missed opportunity. And that is... Especially in a short season, that's the crime. I think it's one of the episodes that you draw the envelopes and it's not one that we all go, oh no. Or one we go, oh yeah, brilliant, awesome, that one. It's kind of when you go, oh yeah, that one. 
When you see, yeah, that was kind of yeah, that was the reaction yeah, kind of I had last month. I like to point out, by the way, that none of my points to the defence were Michelle Ryan in tight leather. Uh, would the defence, in light of that statement, like to read out uh, point number eight on your piece of A4 paper, Mr. Phillips? Point number eight on my piece of paper, um, which I tweeted out, so it's hardly a secret, okay. by the way. Yeah. Is um, number eight, failing all this, we've got Michelle Ryan in tight leathers. But I didn't use that. The defence is a sham. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it's not guilty, yay! Hey! Uh, I get the feeling this is going to be another tight vote, like Underwater Menace. You're right, it's one of these episodes we're going to be I think it is. Ah, yeah, it's okay. going to be a close one, I think, this one. Um, it might also be uh, one of the ones that, you know, maybe sometimes say, I voted with a Conquistador account and accidentally voted for the wrong one. And uh, <laughs> it might be one of them ones. I'll be like when I accidentally voted with a Polis Box account. <laughs> Which I haven't got access to, so. Oh, that's a shame for you. I know, yeah, that's it's terrible. Oh, no. well. I'm not going to answer that. Yeah, we will. Yeah. I, I don't actually use the Polis box account because Lee set it up and I can never remember which random passwords he puts for things. <laughs> Neither can he, apparently, so. Apparently not, no. Well, this is going to be another tight vote, I reckon. But, like, it's not up to us because, you know, the vote comes down to you, the listeners. So, it is. For seven days after this episode goes out, we put a poll up on Twitter. You get to decide for Planet of the Dead is guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. We will reveal the results in the next episode. You have mentioned the envelopes of justice, Cameron. Yeah. Once again, it's time for the envelopes of justice. Yes. Oh, right. the benefit of those on audio, I just did a fist pump. He's going to say that this can't be a fix because he's keeping the box on screen for us the whole time. Why is there one with a little red sticker on that says Fear Huff? <laughs> That red sticker's got your name written all over it. Oh, that makes you think they don't all have the same thing inside them. I've often thought that it's just going to have... There's one box that's going to have all the envelopes with just fear her written in them. Yep, how could you be making this shit up? No, every every time he decides what he wants and puts in those envelopes. He's got like boxes and boxes full of envelopes for each story. (laughs) I've not seen Mask of the Mandragora in years. I've got a massive pile just out of the shot of you up against the desk. It's like Steptoe's house. Okay, right. Dave, you are the underwater menace vote, so you get to select from the envelopes of justice. So, by four percent, by four percent, by the squeakiest of tight margins, I'm going to run my hand across the envelopes. At any point, say stop. What we draw is what we do. So, I am now fingering the box. What do we want, camera? I'm just going to let him keep going while we discuss what we want. Do I want another new one? Or do you want a classic? Um, but you know, it's always a little bit easier when you get like a 45 minute standalone kind of one, isn't it? But yeah. then sometimes it's nice to get your teeth into a classic. We've not actually done any of the Christmas specials yet. We haven't, no. So that'd be nice to get one of them, have we? Yeah, we've no, done we did uh, Doctor Mysterio. Mysterio. Yeah. Oh, so we did. Oh, I'll take it um, back. But you kind of forget that's a Christmas one because Christmas has really mentioned it a lot as well. Yeah. I'd like a McCoy. I don't think I could kick a McCoy. I could kick Ghostlight. I think that's about the only McCoy I could yeah. kick. McCoy's the only Doctor we've not had yet. Exactly, I'd like but a McCoy. I suppose we'll find out when I eventually say the magic word. Yeah. I suppose we probably say it, shouldn't I? Stop. Stop. Okay. Finger rested on this envelope here, which you can now see me extracting from the envelopes of just this tub. Why have you got a blue sticker on? A shaky finger, because your arms are tired from moving so long. And once my RSI is faded, I will open this envelope. Right, camera. I've got that much exercise as a week. You first watched this episode with Phil Ryan in it. <laughs> Gavin, 
you get to pick a coin toss. Have you got a coin to hand? He has a coin. It's a 20p, but it'll do. Any yeah, heads and the tails. Okay. Right. Uh, for the youngsters listening, a coin is something that we used to pay for things with. <laughs> yes, before we had all this PayPal and fucking Go Henry. Fuck off, Henry, I say. That's what's going to end up. It's not going to be tossing a coin, it's going to be tossing a bank card. Yeah, and side or security side up. Not How are we going to work this then? What do we do? Uh, heads, prosecute, tails, defend. Heads is prosecute, yeah? And that's what I do. I'm well, flipping to decide what Dave does. Yes. So if it's heads, I prosecute. Yeah, right, okay. Right. So flick it now? Yes. Flick it If it's heads, I prosecute. If it's tails, I defend. It's heads. Heads. I prosecute. Dave is prosecuting. Excellent. It's a bag of shit. You will be prosecuting in the next episode. Good. Something from the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who. Oh, it's another short one. We have a Matt Smith or a Capaldi. So, anything... I'm secure in a Capaldi. Yeah. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Anything particularly want to come out the envelope here? Matt Smith. In episode 47 of the Polis Box. Once I get this open... To Never thought I'd say this, but come on the lodger. <laughs> in episode 47 of the Polis Box, you, David Cummings, will be prosecuting. A good man goes to war. Blank Ooh. looks on the camera. No, so, thoughtful looks. Not blank, thoughtful. That's the episode, <laughs> that's the episode immediately before Let's Kill Hitler, which we've already covered. Oh, that was that difficult mid-season break thing, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yep. Uh, uh, you have uh, to defend, Cameron. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm currently going... <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming that you can remember anything about that episode. Are you happy with that? I've, I'll I freely admit I am... Kind of struggling to remember nothing about <laughs> particular moment in time. Promise to start for the defence, Dave. Happy with that? It's the one. It's the one that starts with Rory passing on a message and then loads of shit blowing up. Mm-hmm. Bad ass Rory. Yeah. Have we got the woman with the eye patch, Madame Kavarian, banging on about bloody Amy being pregnant? Yet is that all this? Yeah, Amy's pregnant. Flash gives birth in this one, or she's given birth. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, last episode of the spring half. Yeah. I always in, I always enjoyed that first half of that. <laughs> I'm glad you two are champing at the bit for this next episode, then. Oof, tearing the doors down. Who needs the Caves of Androzani, eh? We could have got that. Well, that's what we're going to be doing, episode 47 of the Polis Box. We are going to be doing A Good Man Goes to War. Episode 46, we've been talking about Planet of the Dead. The poll will go up on Twitter for seven days after this episode goes out. You get to decide whether it's guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks to do a good man goes to war. That's been it for episode 46 of the Polis Box. Uh, thanks for listening once again. Right. I've been Lee. Yeah, I've been Dave. And I've been Cameron. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.
You can't tell me what to do. You ain't my 